What is up, Northridge Church? It is so good to be with each and every one of you, no matter where you're joining us from. So shout out to all of you who are on vacation, in your homes, at our online campus. Welcome to all of you. Those of you at our physical campuses, Adam Webster and here in Rochester, uh, it is great to have each and every one of you. And I just want to say welcome home to uh, all of us. And, and we hope that when you, when you show up to Northridge, you feel that difference. You feel that welcome home, that we desire that you you wouldn't feel, whether you're logging on or you hit our parking lot, that you wouldn't feel like one in a crowd, but you'd feel part of a family, that you would feel a safe place where you can belong, where you can meet people who will care for you, value you, and will help you learn to believe, to grow in your belief, and to become more like Jesus Christ. And so to each and every individual one, we're honored to have you and welcome home to Northridge church. And, you know, before we dive in uh, this morning, you heard a lot about it, but I had just an awesome opportunity last week to hang out with some teenagers, over a hundred of them. And um, man, I, I just absolutely loved uh, being with them. And, and, you know, it was crazy. It was awesome. And what I realized up front was I'm not really young anymore. Uh, you know, staying up long hours and getting up early and all the games, it was crazy, it was fun, and it was wild. But let me tell you something that you, man, you just can't, couldn't see it through the video is watching our students engage with God. To see them worship with energy and passion, to see them surrender some things to God, just to watch God move was absolutely incredible. And so if you're thinking about it, you know, you can just email Connell, be like, hey, I'm in next year. He would love to have you. And so, um, but I brought two pictures with me just to, to sum up in, in, in a picture what God did. You saw two young ladies go public with their faith in front of their friends. Come on, church, let's let them know how excited we are. Come on. Yeah, it, it just doesn't get better than that to see teenagers who, it's hard to be a teenager today and to see them in front of their friends, their peers say, hey, I'm following Jesus. I want you to hold me accountable and I want you to push me towards the cross. It was absolutely incredible. And it doesn't happen without awesome volunteers. Like Scott, Scott and Nate said, people gave up their vacation to invest in the next generation. And I'm just proud to, to, to be a part of a church that loves the next generation. Think about this, in a week, we have the opportunity to pour into 250 kids and about 150 teenagers. What a responsibility and what a calling God has given us. And man, I can just tell you, our future looks bright, Northridge Church. And so thank you for all our volunteers, all our staff that helped invest into the next generation. Well, you know, as we, we, we dive in, let me paint a picture for you. Let's say I were to poll a thousand people, random people, people from all different backgrounds, and, and, and I was just to ask them just one question. So usually most polls have a ton of different questions, just one question. If, if, if you could have more of something in your life, what would it be? If you could pick just one thing to have more in your life, what would it be? Now for a second, think about that. If you were, you were to take the poll, how would you answer? Now I, I know this to be true that, that when you, when you pull a thousand people, you're gonna get all a variety of different answers, but based off of educated guess of what I value and what we value, I would assume that of those thousand people, one of the top answers would be money. Right? I know this to be true in my life. If you were to offer me more money at no cost, I'm not turning it down, and let's be honest, neither are you. 
But what's interesting to me about this is, is most of us, we would love more money in our lives because we believe money will deliver things for us. But what's interesting about money is it often doesn't deliver the thing we think it's going to. We often hope that more money will bring more pleasure, but it usually just brings more stress. We often think that, that money will make us feel secure, but it has a tendency of actually making us more insecure. We believe that money is gonna bring a, a, not a satisfaction, but it often brings more fear. And what's crazy is if all of us were asked if you would take more money, would any of us actually turn it down? Right? Our culture is, is built into this idea of this pursuit of more money. Right? Just recently, right, people were buying Powerball tickets right, at the chance to win $1 billion. We're looking for quick and easy, fast ways online to make quick money. Because money's a hot topic in our culture. And what's interesting is you look back in Bible times, it was the same. You skip back thousands of years, in Jesus' day, money was a hot topic. In fact, if you study Jesus' sermons and his words, many scholars believe that one of the top topics that Jesus talked about was treasure, what we treasure, what we value, what we invest our money on. He taught 39 parables. 11 of the 39 dealt with money. And so here we are in this series, the Summer on the Mount, where we're walking through Jesus' most famous sermon, and here he's going to tackle the topic of what we treasure, where we invest our money. If you got your Bibles, Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 19. This is Jesus' words. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so as Jesus approaches this topic, he says, hey, we should learn to accumulate the right things versus the wrong things. We should store up heavenly things, eternal things, and and not really store up earthly things. Right? He, he makes a, a clear distinction between the two things. And before we dive any deeper, I want to pause here because what I've seen with this passage is I've seen people use it to say something I'm not sure Jesus is trying to say. You see, many people have taken this passage and say, hey, this is just a call to Christians to never enjoy any earthly pleasures, to never try to grow wealth at all. And I just don't believe Jesus is prohibiting against this growing, growing your wealth. Because we see in in the Bible other places, Jesus talks about how wise people live financially. Look at Proverbs 13. It says this, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Ten verses later in the same proverb, it says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And the only way we do that is if we uh, accumulate wealth as we invest in the right things and God blesses us. Another place where Jesus teaches one of those parables, Matthew 25, Jesus teaches the parable of talents. And in the the parable, the story, there's three people who Jesus gives a certain amount of money and he he tells the, the two that multiplied the money, they did a good job. He's like, well done. But the person who took the money that Jesus gave them and buried it and did nothing with it, Jesus is ticked at. And so this verse where Jesus is saying, hey, store up heavenly things, not earthly things, is not him coming down and saying, don't enjoy any pleasures of this world. In fact, one scholar says it like this. 
He says, the master does not say it is wrong to possess earthly treasure. He does say it is wrong to lay it up for self. We are to hold it as stewards. And so as just Jesus begins this topic of money, it's almost as if he's challenging us to stop storing up things that don't matter at the expense of what does matter. Stop chasing after things that have no eternal value at the expense of things that do have eternal value. Because Jesus knew we, we would have a tendency to, to store up things and he wanted us to store up the right things. Because he knew, he's saying, be careful what you choose to own. Because when you own something, you invest in it, you value it, and something you value, you protect, and it might just come at your own detriment. And so at the beginning, he makes a, a, a distinct difference between earthly things and heavenly things. What are those differences? I'm going to talk about two today. The first difference is earthly treasures fade, heavenly ones don't. And I think it's important as we budget our, our, our stuff, as we think about how we spend our money, it's important to remind ourselves of these two differences. Because when it comes to earthly things, things that we buy, things that we accumulate, earthly things fade away. They don't last. They often cause us to, 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 to wonder what the next thing is going to come. Second difference, heavenly treasures satisfy, earthly ones don't. And at some level, isn't that what we're all looking for? Satisfaction? Fulfillment? Contentment? And we search for it in all the wrong places. My, my daughter, I'm trying to teach my daughter this very concept. That things of this earth just won't satisfy her. Joelle is my oldest daughter. She's about to turn eight. And Joelle is a bright young girl, but she's high energy. And she finds herself constantly as a little girl bouncing from one thing to the next, finding herself bored. And here's what she believes. She's kind of bought the lie that many of us buy. It's this, right? That if I just get the next thing, I'll be satisfied. So her birthday is coming up, September 8th. She's been talking about it since like June. <laughs> and she's low grade in a panic about, Dad, I, I gotta figure out what I want and I gotta tell Grandma what I want and I gotta tell you what I want because I, I can't miss this moment to get the thing that will satisfy me, that will make me feel joy and happiness inside. And I'm like, baby, none of those things you want will ever do that. And isn't that the lie we believe? Isn't that the lie that we have to constantly keep teaching ourselves? Because here's what we believe. We believe, oh man, if I just get the, the, the job, or if I just get the salary, if I just get the home, or the addition, or I drive the car, or I get the boat, or the vacation home, who then my life will be complete. I'll be satisfied. And you might be for a season. But eventually, guess what you'll realize? Someone has something nicer than you do. And it will constantly, you'll live in this vicious cycle of getting what you want and then wanting more. My daughter's learning that. Every Christmas she gets the things that she wants and then after six months she's like, I don't want these things anymore. I want something more. And as adults we do the exact same thing and we wonder why are we storing up things that fade away, storing up things that don't actually satisfy our heart. If you don't believe me, take it from a guy who has a lot. A guy who in his career has been rewarded, has been honored, a guy who has accumulated lots of money. He's a great scholar. His name is Jim 
Carey. Jim Carey at the Golden Globe Awards, he won a Golden Globe, and look what he says to the audience. He says, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. When I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe actor Jim Carey because then I would be enough. And it would finally come true. I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. It's almost as if Jim Carrey is catching up to what Jesus taught thousands of years ago. That the things of this earth just don't satisfy. They don't fulfill us. And Jesus warns us, be careful what you accumulate. But then he gets to his main point. He gets to what he's truly after. The next verse, look what he says. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus reminds us that the things that we value, the things that we invest in, where we spend our money creates a pathway for our heart to follow. And it's easy to mistake something in this passage, right? Here's what you need to understand. Don't miss this. Jesus is talking less about where your money goes and more about where your heart is. And if you want a good indicator of where your heart is lying, follow the trail of what you spend your money on. But Jesus, can I tell you today, Jesus pretty much cares less about how big your house is. Jesus cares less of all the earthly pleasures that you've consumed. Jesus could care less of how big or small your bank account is. Do you want to know what Jesus cares about? Your heart. Your heart. That's what he is after. And you might ask the question, why is the heart so important, other than like it needs to beat and keep us alive, why is Jesus after our heart? Well, the Bible talks about the heart a lot. It calls it the wellspring of life. Look what Proverbs says about the heart. It says, above all else. Now, now let's pause here for a second. Think about the weight of the words. Above every body part that you have, above your mind, above anything else in your life, guard, protect, watch after your heart. Now, you might ask the question, why? Because everything you do and who you are flows from your heart. You see, Jesus isn't after. I know many people believe the church is after your money. No, wrong. Jesus is after your heart. Because here's what he knows. When Jesus has your heart, when you fully surrender your heart to Jesus, he has everything else. When you give your heart to Jesus, he's got your time, he's got your thoughts, he's got your budget, he's got your dating, he's got your future, and the list goes on and on because when God captures your heart, everything flows from it. And he says, be careful where your treasure is because that's where your heart is going. And then he does something that I think is really interesting. He talks about another body part that often leads our heart to the wrong places. Look what he says, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, most of us, when we read this passage, we're like, wow, Jesus, you just made a big old shift. He didn't. He's just talking about another body part that often affects the heart. He says the eye, your eyes are the lamp of your body. If you think about a lamp for a second, right, when it gets dark, what do most of us do? We do all the same thing. We pull out our cell phone, we turn our flashlight on, and guess what that flashlight does? It guides us to where we want to go. And guess what happens in our culture so much today? 
What do we find our eyes doing? Scrolling Amazon? Oh yeah, I'd like one of those. Give me that deal of the day, right? Where, where do we find our eyes? On social media, looking at what our friends have that we don't have. And Jesus warns us, he says, be careful what your eyes are looking on because you either have healthy eyes or unhealthy eyes. And the, what happens is if your eyes are healthy, it leads you to light. It takes your heart to light. But when your eyes are unhealthy and you desire earthly things, it leads you to darkness. And he warns you, he's like, your heart is valuable, it's important, and where your treasure is, your heart goes. But what is often leading our heart to places maybe it shouldn't go? It's our eyes, because it's the lamp of your body. But then Jesus kind of looks at his audience and he's like, you gotta make a choice. Kind of lays the gotten down. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? Jesus says, you gotta make an individual choice. Who will you serve? Because we try to convince ourselves, right? No, I, I, I'm, I'm so good that I can serve God and money. Just like, no, you can't. You can't, money is too powerful of a force. It, the love of money is, is too strong. You can't go after both, you gotta pick one. Now, if you're like me, maybe this brings up a tension for you. Because I know my choice, right? Like, I, I got no doubt what I would choose in that choice. Money or God, I'm choosing God all day long. Like, and I would bet for the vast majority of us as followers of Christ, when we read that, like, you gotta make a choice, we're like, yeah, God, I'm, I'm gonna go, uh, yes, God, I'm following you, but then I'm like, okay, well, how do I know? Honestly, how do I know if I'm, I'm truly serving God and devoted to God versus my money, or if I just convince myself that I'm following God when really I'm just after my money, serving my money? And I think Jesus knew we would ask that question. Because what's interesting about this passage is most, most people stop it right there, like that's the end of the topic of money, and Jesus shifts gears. I don't think that's true. If you follow the passage, look what Jesus talks about next. He uses one word to give us a litmus test of if we're truly, which master we're truly serving by talking about worry. Verse 25, the very next thing Jesus says, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you eat or what you would drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. It's almost as if Jesus knew one of the greatest things we would worry about would be our finances. It's almost as if he looks into his audience and he says, hey, you wanna know what's gonna keep you up at night? You wanna know what's gonna stress you out in your marriage and in your future and all these things? It's gonna be money. And so I did a little research. I was like, okay, okay, let's see how accurate Jesus is, right? Let's see if he got it right. And so in 2019, there was a study done. It was done by Mind Over Money. It was done by Capital One in the Decision Lab. And, and the big thing they went after is how much do people actually worry about money? 77% of Americans report feeling worried about their financial situation. Three, a little over three out of four people daily worry about money. You don't think Jesus knows what he's talking about? Somehow he just miraculously, like just randomly by coincidence was like, hey, which master are you gonna serve? Oh, by the way, if you wanna know, what keeps you up at night? 
What are you worried about? 58% of Americans say their finances control their lives. If something controls your life, I promise you, you're gonna be anxious about it. 25% of Americans say they worry about money all the time. It never leaves their head. And this isn't just our culture. Can I tell you, it's us. It's me and it's you. I would bet probably a lot of us this week worried about money, about our bills, about our house payment, about all the things that money touches. Maybe on your way to church today, it was in the back of your mind and it caused you to be anxious. And what's so fascinating about how much we worry, we don't see the other side of our worry and how it impacts our lives daily. But in this study, look what it says. Of, of the people who worried, 43% said they feel fatigue regularly. 42% said they find, found it difficult to concentrate at work. 41% said they can't sleep at night. 25% their financial stress, their worry is affecting their relationships, in their marriage, in their dating, in their, their friendships, and with their family. And I don't know about you, but does it feel like maybe we are serving the wrong master? Does it feel like God says, you gotta, you gotta make a choice. It's, you're gonna be devoted to me, you're gonna be devoted, you're gonna love me, or you're gonna love your money, and it feels like, according to statistics, guess what, we're all Americans here, right? It feels like maybe we've made the wrong choice. It feels like maybe we've convinced ourselves that we're choosing God, but realistically, maybe we've chosen our money. And I think God knew, like, at this point in the sermon, Maybe he felt like I feel right now, like, ooh, I need to ease up a little bit. Like, ooh, take a breath, everybody. And so what he does is he encourages his audience by using two illustrations. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Maybe you need to hear this today. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So Jesus uses two illustrations. He says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. You don't find birds like uh, trying to figure out, like storing up things, and they're just trying to build nests, have a safe place, right? Like, look at the flowers. They don't labor or spin. And guess what? God provides for them. God provides for them. So he reminds you of who he is, how big he is, and he is your provider. But secondarily, he reminds you, man, God cares about you. You might not feel like that today in your circumstances and what you're going through in your finances, but can I tell you today, be reminded of how much God loves you and how much he cares for you. And it's almost as if Jesus is asking us the question, which master are you banking on to provide for you? Because here's what I think we've done, and I think it's, it, it's at our own fault. I'm guilty of this. 
is what we do is, as, as, as parents, as moms and dads, we, tomorrow we, 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 we wake up and we go to work, and the reason why we go to work is because we have to provide for our families. We have to provide for our budgets, food and everything. And so what we do is we take this, this, this responsibility of provision and we put it on our shoulders, and it causes us to worry and stress. Can I tell you today, that responsibility, that burden is not yours to carry. Your provider is God Almighty. And I'm not saying today, you know, go home and be like, Drew told me to quit my job, God's gonna provide for me. <laughs> this is awesome. If you do that, I'm just gonna tell you like it is, you're dumb, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is you can release the burden of provision for your family, because you know what I call God, Jehovah Jireh, and his name is my provider. He will come through for you. He will provide for you. He promises to do that. He says, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people far from God, run after, chase after all these things. He says, your heavenly father, he knows that you need him. I, I, those words are so comforting to me. Those words, are just that last passage, it says, your dad, your father, he knows exactly what you need and when you need it. You know, I, I get a, a crack at my kids every once in a while. Ashley and I laugh um, at them because they really, they're young and they have zero concept of money. And you, you can see this in how they live. Like if we were to go to the grocery store or to go to Target or whatever, if we actually bought all the things they asked us to buy, like I wouldn't have a home to live in, right? Like, because they have no idea. Like, yeah, what about this, dad? No, like, do you know how much that costs? And we, you see it in the most funny spot when it comes to like food. So every once in a while at, at, at night, Ashley and I are like, okay, what are we gonna make for dinner? And our kids are listening to the conversation. They're kind of adding to it. And oftentimes, Joelle or Ruby, Kate, or Malcolm be like, oh, guys, don't worry. Mom, Dad, don't worry. Let's go out to eat. Let's just go out. And I, I'm convinced my kids have no clue. This is what they believe. They believe that, like, just out of the goodness of people's hearts, they open these big buildings with big kitchens. And you know what? You just go in there when you're hungry, and they cook you a beautiful meal, and you leave. And you're like, hey, thank you for that. It's like, do you know how much that cost? It's expensive, we can't do that. But you all know something I never find my kids doing? Worrying about money. My daughter never wakes up and thinks, man, I wonder how much money mom and dad have in their checking account. I wonder, I wonder if, if this is gonna happen or that's gonna happen and I wanna be sensitive because I do realize the sad reality of our culture is that some kids are forced to do that today. And just on a side note, church, that's where we step in and help out. Okay, that's what the church was built for, to take care of those in need. That's why what we treasure, earthly or heavenly things, can I tell you what, what is, is a heavenly thing is a soul of a hurting kid. My kids, probably the majority of our kids, never wake up and are stressed or anxious about worry or about money. They're not worrying about it. Do you want to know why my kids don't worry? Because here's what they know. They know a fundamental fact about mommy and daddy. They know we will do whatever it takes to provide for their needs. And here's what I want you to know. This is why the Bible, this is why Jesus calls us to childlike faith. 
Because we gotta get to the place in our relationship with God where we recognize who he is, where we recognize how big God is, and we trust that no matter what circumstance we face, our dad will take care of it. He'll provide, he'll come through whenever we need it and when we need it. We don't have to worry because of who God is. He is our provider. Jesus lands the plane here, verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so as we wind down today, I just want to ask you two questions. Two questions that I'd love for you to really think about, talk about. Two questions that I think maybe if you've got a summer group that you're going to, that you, you have some dialogue there. Two questions that maybe you sit down with your spouse or a good friend, a community group leader, and you just have a little bit of conversation where you evaluate your life and you, you really ask yourself these two questions because I think they're really important when it comes to what we treasure, what we, what we value, what we're investing in. And the first question, we've, we've talked about this in this series, when it comes to your finances, whose kingdom are you building? If I were to get a glimpse into your budget, into your finances, into what you're accumulating, would I come to the conclusion that, man, this family, this person is bought into the kingdom of God? They're storing up heavenly things that last for all of eternity. Or would I come to the conclusion that you're just interested in building your kingdom, your desires, what you want. I would challenge you this week, as an individual, as a family, to look at your finances, to look at what you treasure, to look at over the course of your marriage, over the course of your life, what you've accumulated and what does it tell you about whose kingdom you're building? Second question, are you worried? I know in my own life, and I've been in ministry long enough to know how rampant worry is. How it often consumes people. Being anxious to not get the thoughts out of your head, what keeps you up at night. And for a lot of us, it is our finances. Some of you, you're like, man, I can't even get past the first question, Drew, because I want to build the kingdom of God, but my finances are so crazy and so out of whack that I, I can't even imagine a world where I could invest in the kingdom of God because I'm barely investing my own kingdom. I can barely take care of myself. And here's the deal. Some of, of your finances and the worry, it just comes to getting control and having a plan. And our church offers a class. It's called Financial Peace University, and it's a class you can take at the privacy of your own home. We'll offer you resources today and tomorrow that will help you get control of your finances so you can start building and investing in the kingdom of God. And so if you're interested in that class or some resources, all you gotta do is go to a simple website. It's iwant.info and you'll see a banner. When you go to that website, you put it in your web browser, you'll see a banner. I think it's the top banner. It says, I want help with my finances. And we will send you a link to that class and we will send you resources to help you get control of your finances so you can tell where your money where to go rather than your money telling you where to go. But let's be honest. Worry's way bigger than money. In fact, some of you today, you, you wouldn't even know your life without worry. It's constantly there. Every time you think you beat it, it sneaks back into your head. It causes you to be tired. It causes you to lose sleep. And you're worried about all kinds of things. Sure, finances is one of the many things that, that you are worried about. Your children, 
your future, your dating, your marriage, your relationship with Jesus. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the things that we worry about, that we feel anxious about. And I know, I'm like, okay, I'll take a class, Drew, but what can I do right now? What can I do today to overcome this? And I just think there's two things we can do as a church that help me with my worry. It's worship and it's prayer. I mean, we read a verse, right? It says, what will guard your hearts? The peace of God. What does that come through? Prayer. God, give me peace in all circumstances. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship and we're going to pray at our physical campuses. You'll notice right now, uh, members of our prayer team, they're going to get up and they're going to come to the front of our stages. We do this about once a month where no matter what you got going on in your life, we would love to pray for you. And so whether you're struggling with worry or whatever it is in your life, we would just honestly love to pray for you. We're family. We carry each other's burdens. And so if you need prayer for anything, something medical, you're struggling with worry, you you need help with your finances, whatever it is, during this song, as we worship, you come and allow someone to pray for you, to fight that battle, to intercede for you. And the rest of us, you know what we're going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to sing to our provider. We're going to remind ourselves of who God is, how big he is, and that he will take care of it. And so at all our locations, let's stand. If you're watching online, stand up. Come on, stand in the presence of of our church together. And let's sing these words, reminding ourselves of who our provider is. Let's sing together.